Okay. Thank you for joining me today on this episode of Investigation Bible. I am your biblical investigator, Bill Kaufman, and I'm now 10-8 on this edition. All right. Today we're going to speak about a little continuation. Um, I spoke about the disciples and how they gave up their lives for Christ. I spoke about a couple of other people that were kind of recent and how they gave up their lives for Christ uh, in the uh, close to the disciples. And now I'm going to speak about somebody a little bit further away and then somebody even a little bit further away. Okay. And um, this one, um, well, throughout time, mankind has been um, lauded courage. You know, we all like courage. Everybody um, looks up to people who are courageous and that's good. And I think that's still good. Uh, I know when I was a young man in the army, um, you know, they really talked a lot about courage and things like that. I was a, uh, I went through a thing called special forces school. It's a Q course. And at the end of that at Robin Sage, somebody had mentioned one of the cadre had mentioned that, you know, we were still here and he saluted us with a, with a chest salute and said, um, Spartans, I salute you. And I thought that was really funny because I even loved history back then. And that was a Roman salute and the Spartans were Greek. So I was like, I don't think, I think you're mixing your, uh, your stuff up there. But he was the cadre and I was the student. So I didn't say a word about it. I just kept it to myself and smiled inside. But you know, that's the truth. Throughout time, the Spartans were lauded for being courageous. Um, the oldest story we know, Epic of Gilgamesh, uh, written down, is epic about a courageous stuff. So, I mean, we all loud courage, okay? We still do. We always have. And uh, the Greeks have all these stories of courageous heroes and everything. Well, what about the people who who gave their lives for Christ? These were some courageous people. Now, the one I'm going to speak about first, her name is Perpetua. Okay, Perpetua is a, um, a, a woman that was born in Carthage, which is northern Africa. Her father was of high rank. Um, she, was, she had three brothers, and she had uh, a mother. And in her family, I guess they were a pretty good family. They were pretty tight-knit, and he, his father really loved her and really even says put her above her brothers, really, and which would be unusual at that time, but that's what it says. And so she was loved by this guy, and he treated her well, but he wasn't a Christian. Now, somewhere along the line, Perpetua met a Christian somehow. I don't know how. And um, we're not told that, but she becomes a Christian and she starts serving this Lord when it was illegal to do so in the Roman Empire. Now, remember, she's born in the northern Africa portion of Carth- in Carthage in northern Africa, and she was, um, and that's all part of the Roman Empire at this time, at the Roman Empire's peak, okay? And there was a guy named um, Septuitus Severus, and I'm totally messing up his name, I'm sure. Um, Severius, anyway, severe guy. Um, He was the Roman emperor, and at this time, well, not when she was born, but as she got older, and when she was about 20 years old, he's the the emperor, and he makes this rule that you have to, um, you can't convert to Christianity or to Judaism. He makes a law saying that, and um, at the price of your death. And she becomes a Christian during this time. And that's a problem for her and stuff because she gets arrested. She gets arrested, and I'm going to have to read the names of her friends with um, some friends, okay? And uh, Ravocatus, Saturninius, Saturnus, 
I'm not doing it right. Secundalus and Felicity. Okay. So anyway, these people and her, five people get arrested in Carthage at um, because they were what was called, uh, they were doing their catechism. Okay. Catechumes was what they were called. A catechum is the person that's taking a catechism. They're taking, they're learning what Christianity all about it. And they've already, you know, given their faith. But before they're baptized, they, the church at that time, around 200, because this is in the 200s AD, um, they, she was born in 182. She dies in 203. Um, this is somewhere around 200, just a little after. She's going through the, uh, this whole situation. So she's taking the catechism and her, so are her four friends and they all get arrested for doing it and they get tried and we have her written, handwritten account, hers. It's a handwritten account. That's just, that's just nuts, man. That's so crazy. And you can actually look it up. I did. I read it myself. You can look it up online. Um, Perpetua and it's called the passion of Perpetua and Felicity. And it's her handwritten account of this, all these events. And you can look it up online. I found it at Fordham University. I'm sure it's a lot of other places, but the actual English translation of that. And just, it's quite amazing to read. But I'm not going to read it to you, but I'm just going to go along with what she said. Okay, so she says that she and her friends got arrested and put into a prison. And at first it was the worst thing for her. Remember, she's a rich kid from, you know, had, you know, all good things happen to her. And now she's in a dark dungeon because that's the way prisons were. And it says it was dark and it was cold and it was scary. And she did not like it. By the way, she was a young mother. She had a baby and she was even, the baby was so young, she was still breastfeeding it. And they took, and they gave the, they didn't take the baby with her to prison. So she now is separated from her baby. And at, at first, and that's pretty bad. Um, so she's, writes this her in her own handwriting she writes down that this what was bothering her what she was upset about and everything but then the um, people that were deacons in her church two of them they came and paid the guards which is how things worked back then um a bribe and then they put them in a nicer part of the prison and then they brought this the baby to her and she was able to breastfeed the baby and, and be with her baby part of the day all right, and that's in her own writings. But her dad comes to her, and that's actually how it really starts, even even before that other explanation. Her dad comes to her, who isn't a Christian, and he is begging her, pleading with her to renounce this Christ guy and to just do the pinch. We talked about this last week. You just put a pinch into the little thing. It goes, woof, and you say, Caesar is Lord. That's all you got to do, and you stay alive. That's all you got to do. She won't do it. She's like, no. And he, he conjoles her and conjoles her, but she comes up with a pretty interesting statement. She says, um, Dad, look at that jar over there. And he looks at a jar, and he says, can that jar that holds things be called anything other than what it is? I mean, are we going to call that, that jar? Are we going to call it a chair? Or, or you know, I'm, I'm paraphrasing a little bit, but are we going to call it anything other than a jar? And he says, no, we're not going to call it anything other than a jar. Of course not. She says, then I cannot be called by anything other than what I am, and that's a Christian. So it actually says he got mad at her by her argument, and she says this. It's in her own writing that he attacked her, like to 
gouge out her eyes, but he did it out of grief. She even says he did it out of his own grief because he was so worked up. And he didn't hurt her, but um, the, the English translation I read was he vexed her. In other words, he made her feel bad. And he cried and everything else. But then he finally left. He left for a few days, and she said, well, when he was gone, I felt a little better. That's, that's what she says. And I was able to pray and do all these things. Her brother comes to her, her brother and mother. She gives her brother and mother charge over the, her child, you know, and so they come, and they're bringing the child back and forth to be breastfed. And the brother is now uh, also a Christian. He's not arrested, but he's a Christian. And he tells her, once you pray and ask God what, how this is going to end, and so she does, and she says, I'll tell you tomorrow. And so she had a vision, and that vision was of a big, tall ladder. And on the sides of, of the ladder were weapons, like um, spears and swords and knives and stuff. And if you got to the sides of these things, didn't stay right in the middle of this ladder, you, you, could, um, uh, you could cut yourself and be injured. There was also a big, giant snake at the bottom of this ladder, and the ladder was made of brass. And the brass is interesting because... I don't know if she even knew this because she was new to this stuff, but brass is a sign of judgment, like the fire of judgment, but brass holds, you know? So that that's righteousness in judgment. That's what brass means in the biblical stuff. I don't think she probably knew that, but um, this ladder was made of brass. And she's her uh, pastor, by the way, who is going to follow her in death, in her dream, I don't think he's gone yet, but in her dream, he's ahead of her and he tells her to come on up the ladder. So she does. And, and she even says, he says, be careful that snake. And she says, the snake cannot hurt me in the name of Jesus. Isn't that interesting? We still say exactly that, huh? In the name of Jesus. Well, that's what she said, 200 AD. So, you know, all those years ago, almost 2000 years ago, she said, in the name of Jesus, the snake cannot hurt me. And it, it says in her dream that the snake then bowed its head and let her step on it in order to climb up the ladder. And she did. She gets to the top, and there's a, a, a big, big, big guy, and he's milking a goat, I think it is, and he gives her some cheese and everything, and, and then there's a great crowd of witnesses and all this, and they all applaud her, and, and then she wakes up, and she comes to the conclusion that her and her friends are not going to survive, that they're going to be martyred, because they haven't been tried yet. And she comes to that conclusion. That's what she says. Okay? So... She comes to the conclusion she's going to be martyred, and she actually, uh, well, um, she tells her friends that, and she tells her brother, we're going to die. We have no choice here. Well, when her father finds that out, he comes back, and he cries again, and he laments again, and he does these things. Well, she keeps telling him the same stuff. I am a Christian. I am going to do what God wants me to do. We don't know what the judge is going to do, but I kind of think after my dream, I do know what the judge is going to do. So... Um, I've got to hurry this up because i got another person to talk about. Um, she also has, uh, they move her from the nice prison to the, um, uh, where they're going to be taken out in the arena because they're going to, that's what they did in those days. The Caesar had a son and, um, get the, I think was his name and his birthday was coming up. And when his birthday came, they were going to do games across the whole empire. And these games were going to include killing people. I don't know why they thought that was a celebration, but they did. This wasn't just, <coughs> pardon me, that wasn't just this year. That was that happened a lot. So um, 
She's taken over there where the games are going to be. And by the way, we know where that amphitheater is right now in the city that she was uh, martyred in. We know where it's at. You can, you know, it's been uncovered, dug up, whatever. So, but anyway, um, she has a vision when she gets over there. Well, actually, first she hears the name in her head of her brother who's died. Now, she had three brothers. Two were still living and one was dead. One died of a some sort of a disease that ate his face away. It's a terrible disease. And he was just a, a seven-year-old boy. And uh, Donocrates was his name. And she hears that name in her head, and she thinks about it for a little while. And she goes, I haven't thought of him in a while. And so she prays for him that night, and she sees a vision of Donocrates. This is really interesting. I don't understand this theologically, but she wrote this down, and it's just fascinating. Anyway, she sees Donocrates, and he's in torment. He's in a bad place. And there's um, like a fountain of water, but it's above his head. He can't reach it. And there's a gap, a cavern similar to what Jesus said about rich man and Lazarus. There's a cavern between her and her little brother, and she can't get to him. And she wakes up and she realizes he still has that, his face is all messed up. And um, his clothes are disheveled and where he's at is darkness and he can't get to the water and it's terrible. And she realizes that he's in torment. So she prays that night and she prays fervently for her brother. And then she has another dream. And the next dream, the she sees her brother, his face is healed, has a scar, but it's healed. And um, there's a, uh, the water uh, fountain has come down to his waist so he can drink all he wants. And he runs off and it even says in play like children should, like children do. That's what it says in her own handwriting. And she sees this and she realizes that he's now with Jesus and that she's going to see him shortly, and that his he has been taken from this place of torment to where God is. That's a vision that she had, and during this time, um, there's other ones too. There are, but I'm going to get on to the story real quick, and I'm going to finish it so I can talk about the other one other person. There's so much more to this. Please look it up for yourself. There's just so much more. But she and Felicitas get put into the arena. So do her other friends. The other friends get mauled by bears and leopards and stuff like that. But they, for some reason, these Romans decided to put her and Felicitas, Felicity, Felicitas in, in Latin, into the arena and have a, a crazed cow, a heifer, a female cow, destroy them. Don't know exactly why they chose that, but they did. And it did. It beat them up. It just threw them everywhere. Um it, it it says in there that Felicity, Felicity got hurt first and that she helped her up, but then she got thrown and all these other things, but it didn't kill him. It, it was meant to kill him, I guess, but it didn't kill him. So eventually the people are like, okay, that's enough torture, and they pulled him to the side, and they're going to kill him with the, with the sword. And when everybody was done, those who hadn't died by the beasts were going to be taken into the center of the, um, the arena and killed with a sword. And that's exactly what happened. Some of her friends had already been killed by the beast. Some had not. And, um, but she was the very last one. And it was an inexperienced gladiator. That's what it says. Inexperienced. I mean, every gladiator's got to have a start, I guess. And you got your first fight no matter what. Well, this was, he was inexperienced and he didn't really want to do it probably and everything else. And he was going to chop off her head or cut her throat. But she, uh, he didn't. He hit her collarbone and it caused her to cry out in pain, actually, it says. She, it's written that she cried out in pain, but then she guided the sword 
She said, no, 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 no. Put it right here. Now, shove through my neck. And the gladiator did, and she died. That being said, that started, the, by the way, that emperor, he died shortly thereafter. The law changed back for a while. They weren't being persecuted anymore. And she's gone down in history as a woman that was just amazing, right? And because she is. And we've got her own handwriting. It's the oldest writing of any woman who is a Christian in her own hand. We know of many women before that were Christians. Many women in the right were following Jesus from the get-go. Many women were helping Paul at the beginning of the church. And it's names them by name in the Bible. But this is the first one we have her own handwriting of. So um, she's gone down in history. Uh, the Catholics give her a feast day on March 7th every year. Um, and then the Anglicans, the Church of England, they give her a day too. I don't know why, but they do it on the 6th. Not really sure why they do it on a different day, but they give her a day. I mean, and as Protestants, we don't honor people like that. We don't give them this kind of thing too much. And, um, and I think we, I'm kind of for that. I mean, I'm a Protestant. I don't really have, we don't venerate saints or anything, pray to anybody but God himself and all that. But you know what? Sometimes we forget these people and we should never forget these people who did this stuff. So anyway, that's the story of Perpetua. Now, Perpetua, you can look her up. Um, very famous. Easy to find all kinds of stories about her and stuff. But that's in her own hand. So I just decided that read it in her own hand. And I did it through Fordham University. So if you look it up, Fordham University, it will actually have an English translation of what she wrote. All right. Another guy. I'm, I've got to really move here. Another guy's name is Lawrence. Now, he lived a little later than her. She lived 182 to 203. Now, Lawrence lived in the 3rd century, 225 to 258. And um, so he was a, a leader in the church in Rome. Okay, he was one of the seven deacons. He wasn't the pope. Um, that was Pope Sixtus II when he was an adult, and he was one of Pope Sixtus II's deacons. So they had seven deacons at that time, and um, he is one of those. All right. And in 258, uh, there's another persecution. Uh, the, the guy is Valerius and Valerian. And Valerian goes ahead and throws out another, I'm going to execute people who don't, you know, do things that like do the pinch and stuff and say Caesar is Lord and all that. I'm going to go ahead and persecute these people again. And they did that from time to time. And this is the Valerian persecution. And so they arrested Pope Sixtus the second. Um, by the way, when they arrested him, when the Romans arrested him, uh, this Lawrence guy was with him, and he tried to get them to arrest him too because he really liked the Pope uh, Sixtus, and he wanted to go with him. And Pope Sixtus the second said, "I have I already knew this was going to happen. I've already God's already told me um, you're going to join me shortly, but don't try and join me too soon. Uh, it's going to happen shortly anyway." And so they go and execute Pope Sixtus. And they realize that the people, a lot of the people are pretty happy about this. And um, so they, they round up the, some of the deacons and stuff, the other leaders of the church. And one of them is Lawrence. And by the way, they think that the church is rich. And I don't remember, I don't know why they would think that because it was underground and it didn't really, you know, it didn't have a lot of worldly wealth, but, um, but they thought it did. And so he, the Romans asked, the who was the um in charge of the money you know who's 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 that and it was this guy lawrence you know 
And so um, they, they said, we demand the wealth of the church. And Lawrence said, well, we have a, <laughs> Lawrence must have been a clever guy. He said, I mean, like a funny guy. He goes, well, we have a lot of wealth in this church. We have so much wealth in the church that it's going to take me three days to gather it up. And so the Roman leadership says, yeah, go get it. Go get the three days of, or we'll give you three days to gather all this stuff together. Well, he does. He gathers together the wealth of the church. The wealth of the church are the people that attend the church who are, no one else will accept, the lame, the blind, the sick, the old widow, the orphan, okay? That's the wealth of the church, according to Lawrence. It was, we love everybody as Christians, but everybody includes these people that you don't love. You guys love everybody who can do something for you. We love everybody, including those that can't do anything for us, but we can only do for them. And so he brings those people in front of the magistrate, and the magistrate is not impressed. (laughs) To say the least, he's not impressed. The magistrate decides that he is very upset about this, and he has Lawrence tortured. And how he has Lawrence tortured is really interesting. He puts him on a skillet, okay, like a human-sized skillet, lights a fire underneath him, and lets him burn alive. Everybody that's in attendance, though, there's quite a few people in attendance. This is a famous event in, in, in history. They said that he didn't seem to feel it. And he even told his tormentors after a certain time, he goes, I think that side of me's done. You can turn me over. I mean, he's having fun with them, you know, kind of like uh, in the Old Testament, there was a, Elijah uh, had a battle with, on Mount Carmel with the false prophets, and um, he kind of made fun of them. He's like, hey, why isn't your God doing something? He goes, maybe he's sleeping, maybe he's uh, tired, yell a little louder, maybe wake him up, maybe he's going to the bathroom. That's what Elijah said. I mean, it's in the Old Testament. He's mocking them, okay? Well, that's kind of what Lawrence is doing here. He's mocking them. And he's like, hey, you know, you're trying your best, but God's not letting you hurt me. And it doesn't hurt at all. And so just turn me over. Well, eventually he does die, but he does so singing, singing hymns. That's what, that's what the people in attendance saw. Romans 2, okay? And at the end of his death, he became a person that people rallied around and started serving Christ for. You know, what? I just talked about Perpetua, her jailer became a Christian, and died the same day because her jailer became a Christian, okay? We even have his name in history. I honestly don't remember it. Um, Let's see, Pundus or something like that, but that's probably not right. But we have his name, all right? Well, Lawrence has the same story. People saw what Lawrence was doing, and they became Christians over this. A guy named Tertullian lived the same time in between both these people a little bit, and he said that the um, that the blood of the saints was a seed planted in the ground that will grow the church. Now, that's a paraphrase. That's not exactly what Tertullian said, but it's what he meant. And I didn't write it down, so I can't. I'm not going to quote it exactly. But you kill us, blood goes into the ground of Christians. It will bring seed of more Christians because that's what it's going to do. And it did. And it did. By the time that Constantine took over in 313 AD, 
remember this is 258 AD. So, you know, just 55 years later, Constantine takes over. There's now more Christians in the Roman Empire than there are non-Christians. That includes every religion that these people had in every culture and everything all across the whole empire. There's more Christians in the Roman Empire now in 313 than there were um, non-Christians. But it was because of events like Lawrence here. Lawrence giving his life, singing hymns while he's being burned alive. And why is he being burned alive? Because he served Christ. And he wouldn't give up the wealth of the church in the sense of money, but it didn't have any money yet anyway. Um, But he gave up what was true. He said, the truth wealth of the church are these people you don't love because Jesus loves these people. That's amazing to me. Perpetua, who lived before him that we spoke of, and Felicity and all their friends, they gave their life. In fact, I didn't bring this up with the story of Perpetua, but Felicity, her friend, was pregnant. Romans would not execute pregnant people, women. They wouldn't do it. And they'd wait till they have their baby, then they'd execute them. They didn't have a problem executing them. They just didn't execute them when they were with child. And um, she prayed, and her friends prayed that she would have the baby be soon enough so that she could go to martyrdom with her friends. She knew she was still going to be martyred. She just wanted to be martyred with her friends. And the baby was born. It's a little girl and she gave it to whoever she gave it to. And, and that's, and that child lived. I don't even know. We know nothing about that child, but we know Felicity died that day in the name of Jesus, for, for the Jesus Christ. That's why. Okay. So anyway, I told a couple of stories here about people who lived in the, um, second and third centuries and they were Christians who gave up their life for Christ. And that's said enough. So we're now 1010 on this episode. I hope you join us again. Bye bye. I knew